Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for today's very special episode of TCCP is none other than former Hampshire, Middlesex and Nottinghamshire seam sensation, Tom Barber. So Tom, first things first, mate, thank you very much for joining me here on the podcast today. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome you on for a chat about all things county cricket. I have to ask, mate, how's your day been so far? Yeah, well, first and foremost, thanks for having me on. Um, I've heard great things about this podcast, seeing other people uh, on it, so um, looking forward to it. But my day's been good, um, pretty chilled. Um, yeah, how about yours? To be honest, mate, it's been brilliant. It, it really, really has. And I, I do have to say a massive thank you, actually, talking of the podcast, because for the first time in, in the County Cricket podcast history, we reached second in the UK podcast charts. Oh, yeah, very good. <laughs> it's absolutely extraordinary. And again, just a, a massive heartfelt thank you to each and every single person who has checked out the podcast recently. A lot of work does go in, but I, I love this platform. I love county cricket and obviously I love the county championship. So, yeah, just before we get into the, the main content of today's episode, I do just owe a great deal of thanks. And I, I truly do mean that, guys. So thank you to each and every single one of you for the incredible support this week. But, Tom, we're not here to discuss the County Cricket Podcast as a platform. Instead, we're here to discuss your cricketing journey, an incredible cricketing journey, if I may just say so myself. So just for those who aren't quite familiar or au fait with how we operate here at TCCP, today I'm going to be talking to Tom all about his cricketing journey. So we'll probably start at the beginning, as is the case with any good tale, then a large chunk of today's podcast will revolve around the likes of Hampshire, Middlesex and Nottinghamshire County Cricket Club. And then we'll end today's episode with a little look ahead to the future. But Tom, before we jump the gun and we get into all of that good stuff then, I want to transport you all the way back to the origins of the Tom Barber cricketing story. <laughs> so what were your first ever memories of cricket, either playing or watching this simply sensational game? Yeah, so my first memories were... Um, pretty much involved with my my dad and my brothers um, going down to their their club, what they, uh, who they played for, Sutners in Dorset, and um, always having a bat and ball in my hand, um, always pestering people to bowl at me or or so I could bat against them or anything like that. Um, but yeah, going 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 down to watch them. Um, so my family played quite an important role in my career, um, and also just just with mates as well. You know, playing in the street, playing driveway cricket or a big group of us going over the park, you know, those games got pretty feisty at times. Um, I even remember my dad coming over to umpire a few times because he does quite a lot of umpiring. So, um, yeah, very, very fond memories growing up. Good. Well, that is absolutely fantastic to hear. And you mentioned your dad and your brother, just to give them a little bit of a shout out on the podcast because they have played an integral part in your journey as a professional cricketer. What are the names for the benefit of the listeners? Yeah, so my dad, John, and my two brothers, Paul and David. Um, two older brothers, I might add, so you can probably see how that went. <laughs> I often think that's maybe where I became a bowler because I was bowling at them all day, so quite interesting, that. <laughs> Certainly sounds it. I do not envy you at all. Two older brothers, <laughs> and you mentioned driveway cricket. It's a, it's a common theme here on the podcast. For some reason, everybody treats driveway cricket or backyard cricket as a World Cup final, was that the same case oh, yeah. in the in the Barber household? <laughs> oh yeah, it was very very serious. Um, you know, there are probably a few tears shed. You know, <laughs> get, getting out or, or injuries to be fair, because I think 
there was a point where I became quicker than my brothers and they didn't really want to face me. So uh, that was quite a nice day. <laughs> I, I bet it was. Good way to get some revenge and some payback for yes, exactly. earlier years. <laughs> Goodness me. Honestly, driveway cricket or backyard cricket, whichever one you play, it is fantastic. It really is. I mean, I, I can't say that I played that with my brother. He's not exactly a massive cricket fan. But I'll tell you what, when it came to football, like the Champions League final every single day. Oh, like. yeah, yeah. oh, it's the same with football in our house as well, yeah. Um, any sort of sports, even now, to be fair, you know, table tennis, tennis, whatever, football, it's, you know, it's, it's competitive, so. As it should be. You've got, you've got to have the family honour and the pride. You, you can't let your brothers have that. That's nah. just <laughs> not on at all. Never not will on. be on. <laughs> but in terms of, of bowling then, Tom, because you're a fantastic person to talk to, about the art of same bowling because I've read your article with Nick Friend in The Cricketer and I've yep. read your interview on the Trent Bridge website and it's quite clear that you absolutely love the arts of same bowling, the dark arts, but the <laughs> wonderful arts of same bowling because it is the one which draws in the fans, isn't it? Let's face it, when we think of some of the greatest passages of play in cricket history, it does involve those real sharp, speedy, feisty bowlers. So you think of Alan Donald to Michael Atherton. You think of Jofra Archer to Steve Smith in 2019. You think yep. of, of Mitchell Johnson in the 2015 World Cup. I could go on for days because seam <laughs> bowling and fast bowling is absolutely remarkable. But in terms of your journey as a seam bowler, you mentioned that the, the early foundations might have been laid by those days on the driveway with your brothers. But what was it about seam bowling as an art form which drew you in in the first place? I think it was just being able to bowl fast i think that's i really got a rush from that um you know i, I saw a lot of people you've had on this podcast to go back to the 2005 ashes you know seeing flintoff and harmison jones hoggard all running in you know causing mayhem and you know i particularly resonated with flintoff to be fair i remember you know some of the some of the spells that he bowled you know fast and nasty i remember the one to callis at edgebaston i think um which gets played a lot so i think bowling fast is yeah, it just gives you a rush, you know, when you when you know that the batsman's scared, um, you know, and also the the sort of things that go along with that as well, you know, as being a left armer, being able to swing the ball back in at pace was was a big weapon of mine. So um, yeah, I guess it's just that rush you get from from smelling blood, I guess, as a, as a bowler. <laughs> Absolutely, I mean, I can't relate to that as a player because I'm simply not fast enough. I did try my hand at seam bowling. <laughs> Bowled five wides in a school game, and that was my, <laughs> my journey as the next Dale Stain. We've well all been there. <laughs> I know, but for, for some of us, that was the end of the road. I, I mean, that was the moment of realisation. I went, is seam bowling for me? Probably not. I think I'm just going to watch Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Brawl on the TV, and I became yes. a spinner. Yeah. But in terms of, as you mentioned, seam bowling as an art, and it is an art, it, it really is. It's almost the, the Picasso of, of mm. bowling, because spin is more methodical. It's the chess player. But seam bowling is the rock star. It's the one that draws yeah. in the crowd. It's the one which provides these magical moments. And this is going to be a tough question, Tom, before we talk about the 2005 Ashes, because I do need to know your thoughts on that, as is <laughs> customary here on the podcast. But yeah. in terms of your favourite ever spell, you mentioned that incredible one from, from Flintoff to Callis. You can also think of, of Flintoff to Ponting in the 2005 Ashes. But yeah. if you could relive one spell of fast bowling from the history of cricket, which one would you choose to see live in the flesh and why? Oh, what a great question. Um, I think a lot of people go back to Alan Donald Atherton 
contest. Um, I think at the stage in the game, you know, England up against it a little bit and, you know, it was a real contest just between bat and ball, you know, that raw pace of Donald, um, white lightning, as they called him, um, and the sort of stubbornness and, I don't know, yeah, stubbornness of Atherton to stay at the crease and, and not give give an inch either way, you know, both of them not giving an inch. And that, I thought that was amazing. Um, probably the one that resonated most with me was, I mean, it probably wasn't one particular spell because you could pick out a few in that Ashes series, but Mitchell Johnson... Um, you know, in the 2013 Ashes, um, you know, I don't know if that's me just being a left armer, but that was absolutely outstanding to watch that. Um, and, you know, we talk about fear, we talk about intensity um, and just pure pace. And that's all that that's what he had in that series. And, you know, the journey that he's been been on um, as well when he was younger, you know, I resonate a bit with his journey. Um, and then to have a, the culmination of that series, um I mean, it was brilliant to watch. I don't know your thoughts on it, but... It depends on the perspective we're taking. As a cricket yeah, fan, <laughs> as, a, as a purist who loves the game of cricket, it was sensational. As an England fan who decided to stay up yeah. and watch the 2013-14 Ashes... Not great. <laughs> no, he was a demon. I think that's how we, how we describe Mitchell Johnson. He was vilified in the press, wasn't he? And you know what? He's very, very interesting. You mentioned the, the fear and the intimidation factor about seam bowlers. Off of the field, Mitchell Johnson is an absolute delight. Yeah. You know, he's so, he's so gentle and and calm and so mild-mannered and friendly. Like, I know people who have, have just bumped into him in the street and they've said he's, he's an absolutely fantastic individual. But on the field, when you're in the heat of battle, and it is a battle, is test cricket. There's a reason it's called the test. But on that field, he was just a different beast, wasn't he? And in 2013, as you said, Tom, we had no answers to him. He was simply too good, but... This brings me beautifully onto my next question because we've mentioned some of the greatest seam bowlers to ever grace the game there. So Alan Donald's a legend, a hero in my county of Warwickshire. We've mentioned Freddie Flintoff of Lancashire. We've mentioned Mitchell Johnson. We mentioned Mitchell Stark and Jimmy Anderson earlier, guys like that. Again, this might be a really difficult question for you, Tom, because there's so many legends to choose from. But if you could have a net, a one-hour long net session with any seam bowler in the history of cricket, who do you select and why? Wow. We get all the questions on here, don't we? <laughs> of course, it's what we're known for. Absolutely. Um, I think it'd have to be a left armour. Um, that's a given. Um, I'd love to have a net with Wazim Akram. I'd love to have a net with him because he had everything. He had the pace, he had the swing, uh, the guile, the, the slower balls, the reverse swing. Uh, around over the wicket, bounces Yorkers. I mean, you name it, he had everything. Um, so to pick his brains would be brilliant, particularly around reverse wing. I'll tell you what, Tom, that is a fantastic shout. I mean, I'm <laughs> sat down. If I could stand up without sending the laptop and the microphone flying, I would. I'd give a standing ovation <laughs> for that answer because Wazim Akram obviously ties in beautifully with county cricket, a legend of Lancashire, but Absolutely. a legend of the game of cricket. And you mentioned reverse swing. Goodness me, him and Wakar Yunus. Oh, looking back on old footage of that. Again, it is, it is. And as a cricket nerd, you just look at that and you think, mm. I wish that I had even one iota of that talent to move a cricket ball like that because they must have been so, so tremendously difficult to face. And Wazim Akram as well could definitely back, couldn't he? He was no slouch oh, yeah. with the, with the yeah. willow in hand. Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember, um, well, he was at Hampshire for a little bit, wasn't he? 
Um, remembering those early, I remember seeing a video actually the other day of like one of the first 2020 games, you know, 2003, I think it was. And again, I think he was coming, uh, maybe winding down his career then, but I'd still remember watching that video and thinking, wow, he's still posing problems and whacking it as well. He's hitting sixes in that game as well. So, um, yeah, you're right. What a legend. Absolutely. A great in every single sense of the word, not just in county cricket, but obviously in international cricket across formats. In ODIs as well, a fantastic player with the white ball. Got it talking somehow. So, yeah, Wesley Macron, we could talk about him all day, to be honest. And we could talk about the greats of the game because, honestly, we keep on coming back to this point. But seam bowling, it really is cinema at times. I mean, some of it is just so, so unbelievably unscripted. You, you couldn't write it. And yet it's magical. It brings you in. And, and look at us two talking about it now with massive grins on our faces, absolutely yeah. nerding out about the art of seam bowling. <laughs> it's absolutely fantastic. But in terms of, of the art form itself, Tom, before we get on to your journey in county cricket, because I do want to discuss that in detail. Again, this is a lovely question. And I ask this to every single seam bowler that I have on this podcast. But what is your favourite aspect of seam bowling? Is it getting one over on the opposition? Is it creating that fear tactic? Is it creating the intimidation factor? What is it about seam bowling that brings you back time and time and time again? I think it is that, it's that fit, particularly as a fast bowler, it's that fear factor, that intimidation factor. Um, you can change the intensity on the field with one ball. You know, you bowler you know, an absolute rip snort of a bouncer, you know, whizzing past the batsman's nose and the keeper's taking it way above his head. Suddenly, you know, you, you, you can just feel it. You can feel people on the boundary, the crowd, the opposition players waiting to come in. You just suddenly, someone, you know, they get on the edge of the seats a bit more, you know, um, and you can definitely sense that. And I've been in situations where I've definitely felt that. And it's a real good feeling because, you know, so I'm, I'm on top here, you know, uh, and, it, and it could cause a breakthrough in the game, you know, if we need a few wickets here. That was my favourite time to bowl in the game, you know. If the captain threw me the ball and said, look, we need a few, we need a few wickets here, come in, round the wicket, um, you know, we'll set we'll set a field that's, you know, the batsman looks around, they've not got too many options, and um, just bowl as quick as you can. Uh, that's when I had the most fun, to be honest. I bet you did. Uh, again, I, I wish that I could do that because it must be absolutely incredible. And you mentioned that in the in the article with the cricketer, with Nick Friend, actually, about being the X Factor, the strike bowler. Yeah. And I, I just wondered, Tom, actually, where do you think that mentality comes from? Because obviously in cricket, this is the great thing about the game. You can have different archetypes. So you can have the control bowler, you can have a swing bowler, and then you can have the X Factor. You can have the, the dynamic speed demon, right? Like a Mark Woods, a Joffre Archer, a yeah. Brett Lee back in the day. Where do you think that mentality and that mindset comes from then? Do you know where the, the origin of that might might lie, per se? It's an interesting question. I think it goes back to this, you know, are fast bowlers born or are they made? You know, it's that sort of thing. I think you have to have a certain makeup in your mentality to be a fast bowler. Um, you have to go through the pain barrier. Um, sometimes you really have to throw caution to the wind and as I said run in and as fast as you can and, and bowl um, and try and get wickets for your team um, but I definitely think uh, maybe some people think we have a screw loose as well <laughs> I think I wouldn't be the first to say that some of us are quite mad but um, yeah I definitely think it's I think personally I think it's a mentality that you're born with I think it's that 
never say die attitude. You know, as, as you said, I'm going to get one over you. I'm going to get you out here um, and not stopping until you do. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the key, isn't it? Because as we all know, and we'll probably discuss in a lot more detail as the podcast progresses, seam bowling's tough, not just on the body, because I've mentioned this stat so many times, but the, the average amount of force going through your front leg as a fast bowler is eight to ten times your body weight. Yeah, it's completely yeah. unnatural. It, it yeah. really is. And there's a reason why so many seam bowlers get injured. But in addition to that, it's the psychological battle, isn't it? When you are steaming in, putting in those hard yards over after over after over for no reward. And especially yeah. as a strike bowler, you can get feasted upon, can't you? You can go for a loss of runs yeah. because sometimes the radar goes astray as you try and find that breakthrough. Yeah, It is very tough. But then at the same time, isn't it so rewarding? It really is, as you mentioned, for those moments, those those key battles where you do win, those memories last for a lifetime. So seam bowling really is incredible. And again, I do encourage any young seamers. I know that I gave up on, I say my journey as if I would have been a cricketer. I wouldn't have been. I'm absolutely terrible. <laughs> That's why I talk about it. But I, I do encourage young seamers to keep at it because you never know. You never know. And in particular, if you're fast, if you've got that extra yeah. little X factor about you, stick with it because the rewards are definitely worth it. And Tom, I think that's a lovely place, actually. We'll probably talk about seam bowling again at some point. I've no doubt about that. But I think that's a nice place to pick up our conversation about county cricket, actually, because you've had a very interesting journey in the county circuit. As I mentioned, you played for the likes of Hampshire, Middlesex, most recently Nottinghamshire as well. In terms of your county cricket journey, what were your first ever memories of the county circuit? Um... Well, as I said, started at Hampshire. Um, I mean, my first sort of memories is it's a difficult one. I mean, I didn't exactly, I didn't break into the team at Hampshire probably as what I would have liked. But um, let's say I played a, a couple of games. Um, and I remember my first game against Yorkshire, actually, where I took two in, two balls. Um, Williamson being the first first list day wicket, so I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah, and I just remember it being okay. This is a this is a step up, you know. This is because you know I'd been on the academy and I played in the, in the Southern League um, for the academy, you know, a very good club cricket um, league. And I played second team cricket for quite a while. Um, started off in that when I was quite young, but then you know I came up against you know Johnny Bairstow. Adam Lythe, um, Alex Lees, you know, Kane Williamson, people like this in my first game. And I was like, yeah, you can't really get away with much here. <laughs> and that's when it comes to, it comes back to, okay, you're fast, but, you know, there's so much more that you need to work on. You know, you need to work on your accuracy. You need to work on your game plans, you know, because the higher you go up, batsmen aren't scared of it as much, you know, and they will, you get away with it in club cricket, you know, people back away, you know, people like Johnny Bairstow aren't backing away, <laughs> you know, they're standing there and if there's any wits in it, they're throwing their hands at it. So I just remember it being a step up and, but not feeling out of my depth thinking, okay, I can do this. You know, I said the, the two wickets, they gave me a lot of confidence um, uh, to make me feel like, yeah, I'm, I feel, I feel I belong here. Yeah, I've got to be honest, Tom, I can definitely see why you felt that because two pretty good wickets to get on your one-day cup debut. The first one came Williamson, the best ever batter in New Zealand cricket history. And I know Stephen Fleming's up there. Don't get me wrong, he is also a legend of, yeah. of New Zealand. But Kane Williamson has been on another planet for like the past decade. So that's a pretty impressive <laughs> maiden list day wicket. And then you also got Andrew Gale out in that game, didn't you? The, the Yorkshire yeah. Captain. 
Yeah, so actually a funny story for the um the Williamson wickets he nicked off. I didn't hear it at all, so I didn't appeal. <laughs> so everyone else appealed. And I turn around, the umpire had his finger up. I was like, oh, well, fair enough. <laughs> I better go hey, celebrate. <laughs> you'll take it. I'll take it, yeah. Um, and I remember Jimmy Adams, I know Michael Carberry's captain that day, came up to me and said um, that Gail's got a, you know, he's not so good on the short ball. Um, so give, give him one first up. And I did. And he managed to glove it through to, to Bates, through the keeper. And yeah, two and two balls, very happy with. Um, and then I think Bairstow was hat-trick ball and he, yeah, he, he yeah, solidly defended it back to me. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. <laughs> As you should be. Two excellent yep. wickets. And I'll tell you what, that's some pretty astute captaincy from Michael Carver. Well, done our homework. <laughs> Clearly. Flipping heck. I mean, that is a really good piece of captaincy. And again, isn't that the interesting thing about cricket? It's the fact that you can manipulate game plans and different tactics to tailor to your opposition it's again it's yeah. such a fascinating game well, <laughs> the, work, the, work, well, the work the work that goes on before the games you know is probably what people don't see it's you know we'll sit down and team meeting and go through every player um and usually now we'll get sent stuff to our phones you know about um you know their scoring areas or videos um of where where they're strong and weak as well you know and, and on that day yeah we we looked at gail and thought bouncer probably was the way to go first up and it proved right so <laughs> exactly the the research definitely paid off and it is a great point analysts really are the unsung heroes of, of county cricket at times because yeah. don't get me wrong if you're an opposition batter you probably don't like them because they've just exposed your weakness but yeah. for the bowlers they are absolutely invaluable the intel that they they can manage to produce on different players nowadays is absolutely staggering so shout yeah. out to the analysts absolutely of, of the critting world they never get the the praise and the the plaudits. I don't think that's why I have them here on the podcast to nerd out about cricket with myself. Because <laughs> yeah, they they really really are fantastic at at what they do. And in terms of those days at Hampshire, Tom, because uh, unfortunately you you didn't get the chance to to play many games for the Southern no. County. But in terms of your overall experiences at Hampshire County Cricket Club, how would you describe your time down on the south coast with the Rose and Crown? Um, I'd say up and down, to be honest. Um, you know, it's a county that gave me my first opportunity in, in professional cricket, which I will, you know, thank them for all, all, all the time. Um, but I think at the time, like I was a different person to how I am now, you know? Um, and I sort of, I live my life with no regrets. And I look back at that time and think, think of myself and how I was then. I think, well, that's just how I was, you know? Um, you know that there are a lot of times when um you know there'll be fines meetings you know what goes on at cricket uh you know a lot of drinking and stuff like that and i just wasn't too in interested in that sort of stuff at that time um so i don't know i wouldn't say i wouldn't say i didn't feel i didn't fit in but i felt like because i maybe wasn't spending a lot of time with the first team um because of being young and coming through there it felt a bit disjointed between second team and first team a lot of the time so when you when you did go to these social events i don't know i i probably wasn't the only one but you might feel a little bit separated from from the first team um so there was that but then i think i came across i made some great friends there said lewis mcmanus so I'm, I'm really good friends with now and we still speak um 
and it was a it was a great group of lads and it was really good fun so we had our pre-season tours with to barbados so i can't complain of that at all and they were they were great trips um had some fantastic coaches there craig white um a guy called johnny ailing who was the bowling coach when i first joined on the academy um he really taught me a lot um about professional cricket being a professional cricketer in general to be honest so um yeah mixed mixed uh mixed memories but overall quite thankful that they gave me my first chance in professional cricket well that's completely understandable isn't it because it is your first venture into county cricket proper because before that as you mentioned you'd played second 11 academy cricket even for the england under 19 you'd gone on tour to south yep. africa in 2012 if i'm, I'm not mistaken yep, so that's right. You had had all of these different experiences in almost pathway cricket and obviously second 11 cricket beforehand, but as as many cricketers find out, first 11 cricket, completely different beast yeah. in terms of the intensity, the expectations, the pressure, obviously the quality of opposition. It really is a different kettle of fish. And for you as a young cricketer, Tom, in retrospect and with the power of hindsight, because hindsight is a wonderful thing, what do you say was your biggest takeaway? What's the biggest lesson that you learned as a young cricketer from your time at Hampshire? I definitely think it was what it takes to be a cricketer. Um, I think maybe I might have been a little naive at the time. Um, you know, not that, not to say I wasn't working hard, but what it actually took to be a professional bowler, be a professional cricketer, to, but to be a professional bowler. You know, we talk about that mentality, um, you know, going through the pain barrier that I learned that pretty quickly at Hampshire um as well as you know as, as we talked about the step up um into into first team cricket and county cricket so yeah I'd definitely say just what it takes to be a professional cricketer day in day out really both mentally and physically of course and again that is it's a massive thing to learn isn't it and when you are young when you are in the the infancy of your cricketing journey I don't think a lot of young cricketers quite acknowledge the importance mm. of those days but it's about laying the foundation is it's, it's about putting the groundwork for the future and getting yourself on the right path and unfortunately things didn't quite pan out as you would have hoped at Hampshire obviously anybody would want a long career wouldn't they uh, at the, the Southern County in particular yeah. Hampshire in white ball cricket they are absolutely fantastic yeah. but a couple of years later you find yourself with an opportunity at Middlesex which to be honest not the worst county to get a gig at you play Absolutely. at the home of crickets, fantastic facilities, fantastic club as well down in London. So in, in terms of that opportunity, first and foremost, Tom, how did that present itself to you? Can you remember how that's, that first materialised, per se? Yeah, so um, so in between my time of leaving Hampshire and joining Middlesex, I spent a little bit of time at Somerset, um, sort of that... Uh, so end of 2015 start of 2016 went on pre-season tour with them and played a few second second lemon games um unfortunately things didn't quite match up there um so i went back to playing for dorset um with paul pritchard as head coach um who is an absolute fantastic guy um and i owe a lot to him um to be honest um in getting me that opportunity um so yeah, played played for for Middlesex. Um, sorry, played for for Dorset for most of that season, um, and then Richard Scott, um, who obviously has links to Dorset, um, played a lot with his son Ryan Scott through the Dorset age groups in Hampshire. He's head coach at Middlesex at the time, and um, Paul and and Scotty knew each other really well. Um, and I went down to um, what do I go? 
Radlett, I think it was, for a, for a training session. Um, and met Richard Johnson, um, the bowling coach at, at Middlesex there, and, and met up with Scotty and had a bowl at the batsman and went from there. And yeah, jo Jono was just like, you know, we, we want you to come and train with us in the winter. So that's how it came about, really. It's funny how life works out, isn't it? I think that's a great example. The fact that you, you would have had the initial disappointment from Hampshire and yeah. then all of a sudden you have the opportunity with Somerset and then you, you go back to your home county of Dorset. And actually, before we get into our discussion about Middlesex, because again, you've got some pretty memorable moments to choose from, from your time with the Saxes. I, I do have to ask about this because I love the national counties. Any excuse to talk about the national counties, whether that's Dorset, whether that's Devon, whether yep. it's the likes of Staffordshire here in the Midlands or Cheshire in the North, wherever, the national counties do a really fantastic job in nurturing some good young talent in this country. Yep. How important was that time then with Dorset in the national counties in terms of your development as a cricketer? Yeah, I mean, I started playing for Dor I started playing for East Dorset when I was probably about 14, 15, and then went into Dorset under 15s. And that's when I started my age group through through Dorset. I mean, I probably started a little bit later than a lot because, um, I mean, a lot of people say like Lewis McManus started from under 10s, you know, so I came in a, a little bit later. Um, you know, and we talk about late, late developers and, and stuff like that. I was, I was probably one of them, to be honest. Um, and then, yeah, uh, it was really enjoyable, actually, to go back um, with a group of lads who I've grown up playing with, with and against. Um and it was it was really fun, you know. Those, um, I think there there were three days then. I think they might have changed the four day now. I can't remember their count their sort of championship, but um, you know those those away days, you know, going down to, as I say, Devon or or you know wherever. It was it was just good fun, you know, and a, a great group of lads, and I really enjoyed that summer actually. I bet you did because that is an overarching theme when it comes to the national counties. It's very enjoyable. There is that social element as well, and yeah. obviously you're all willing each other on to to go to the next stage, which is of course county cricket. And let's be honest, in recent years we spoke about this before the the podcast, didn't we, Tom? But Dorset really have been a fantastic feeder into county cricket in recent years. So you mentioned Lewis McManus, obviously Felix Organ as well, another Hampshire player, and this is something again which. We'd touched upon before the recording, but you know me, listeners. I love doing my research, and there is a little bit of a weird connection, isn't there, between Paul in Dorset and producing left-arm seamers. So, obviously, you got yourself, Tom. you got David Payne from Gloucestershire, and now Brad Curry at Sussex. So, it is, it's interesting, isn't it? I wonder why there is that connection between left-arm seam in particular and the the town of Paul. It's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? <laughs> it is a strange one, yeah. Um... I wish I had the answer to it, but I'm really not sure. <laughs> no, it's just, it's a bizarre thing, isn't it? It must be something in the water down there. I don't know. But definitely, definitely. <laughs> as we said, though, Dorset, goodness me, producing some excellent cricketers, to say the least, and long may it continue in particular, if you're a fan of Hampshire and Sussex, because it's definitely to the, to the benefit of those two first-class counties. But getting back on track then to our discussion about Middlesex, Tom, because you did spend a few seasons with the Saxes in North London. If you could pick out one highlight or one particular moment which stands out to you above all others, what do you say was your best moments in a Middlesex shirt? Um, it's probably hard to put my finger on one. I mean, making my county championship debut at Lords um, is right up there, to be honest. 
um, even if it was like rained off after two days <laughs> against the Morgan. Um, but yeah, that was obviously a really, a really special time. Um, and also I think making my T20 debut, which was my first, um, first team appearance for Middlesex against, Ham against Hampshire as well on TV. Um, and yeah, I think I went, I went pretty well in that. I obviously got my first wicket, but I think most notably, I remember looking up at that scoreboard and seeing, you know, 91, 92, 93 mile an hour, um, because it was on TV and they had the speak and I was like, yeah, yeah, here we go. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was, that was pretty special. Um, and, and also, you know, outside of sort of Middlesex, um, you know, my, my performances from that, um, got me onto the pace program, um, I think a year later. So, some excellent memories there then, Tom. And can I just say some excellent recall as well? First and foremost, we'll start with the T20 debut because I do also want to know your thoughts about walking onto that Lord's outfield for the first time because for any cricketer, that is ridiculously special. But in terms of that T20 debut, you mentioned your first wicket. I have absolutely no doubt that you'll remember who this was. But yep. again, can you remember <laughs> whose wicket that was? Yeah, it was uh, Riley Rousseau. Um, I bowled a slower ball. And it came off the shoulder as bat, went down to fine leg. <laughs> so, and yeah, Harry, Harry Podmore took the catch. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, I just remember the crowd, you know, that it was, a, it was a packed house at Lords on a Friday night on TV. Um, and I just thought this is, this is really cool. <laughs> you know, Owen Morgan is my captain. You know, I'm playing with Stephen Finn, um, who I watched, you know, in the, in the Ashes series gone by, um, you know, a, a great group of lads, good friends. Um, so, yeah, it was really enjoyable. I bet it was. And again, fantastic recall. Dismissing <laughs> Riley Russo for 60 runs. Here's the real litmus test, though, Tom Barber. Can you remember your figures from that night from your four overs? Uh, one for 32. Oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> that's bang on. One for yeah. 32 from four overs. <laughs> I thought I'd stumped you then. No, I remember it. I remember it. <laughs> Good for you, Badger. You're up there with Mason Crane for biggest Badger on the podcast. <laughs> he is a Badger. <laughs> yeah, he is. Mason Crane, for those who don't know, go, <laughs> go and listen to our episode of Mason Crane after this podcast. He knows everybody's shirt numbers in county yeah. cricket. Yeah. And the most ridiculous one, right, at the time, Daniel Ibrahim had made like one appearance for Sussex and it wasn't even against Hampshire. He knew his shirt number. So yeah, fair play, Tom. Might have to have a badger off between yourself. Mace and... has been, Mace has been, he's always been like that. Though. I've known him since he was, you know, started coming in at, at Hampshire, and he's yeah, he's a he's a really good guy, and uh, yeah, but he's got he's got he's got his knowledge down to a T. He, he certainly has. He's he's like the ESPN Crick info of of county cricket. It's absolutely oh, ridiculous. Yeah. He, he knew his averages as well. I mean, how he does it is absolutely remarkable. But I remember fair he. Play, I remember him playing a lot of um, like cricket captain and football manager and all this, um, like in his hotel room. And so he's probably got, it's probably from those days, I reckon. But Oh, definitely. Cricket captain, what a game. I mean, did you ever what play that at all? <laughs> I didn't actually, but um, I, I got told a lot about it by Mason. And I think Brad, Brad Taylor used to play it quite a lot. Those two used to be together quite a bit playing it. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you'd say any two Hampshire players who'd play cricket captain, I probably would have guessed those two, to be honest. Really? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Both absolute badgers and, and cricket nerds. And yeah, it's good a great to see, though, isn't it? <laughs> oh, 
Definitely. Nothing wrong with that at all. If you're a cricket badger, be proud. There's absolutely, absolutely. nothing wrong with it. But cricket captain, what a game. And Brian Lara cricket as well. Oh, absolutely. I played that, yeah. A few hours That's playing a that. Goated game. Goated game. <laughs> if, Trying if, to work if, out which players were who as well. That, that was the great thing, wasn't it? Because they didn't have the licensing. Yeah. <laughs> so, There's some hilarious <laughs> names on there. <laughs> What a game. What a fantastic game. And yeah, great, great memories. Great memories playing Brian Lara Cricket. I think you can actually play Brian Lara Cricket 96 for free on, on the internet. Oh, really? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, myself and Michael McCann, great commentator. Great, great commentator. Shout out to Michael. During lockdown, we, we did an entire series on it, which was quite entertaining. So, oh, wow. yeah, Brian Lara Cricket, absolutely fantastic. But Did you think that they need to like catch up with, you know, obviously FIFA is you know, pretty well-renowned game now. You think cricket cricket games need to catch up a bit with that? Definitely, definitely. Don't get me wrong, I think that Big Ants, who are the ones who, who do Cricket 22 and they did Cricket 19, I think yeah. they're doing a really good job because cricket's a tough game, isn't it? When yeah. it comes to, you know, manufacturing a, a video yeah, game yeah. out of. But in terms of licensing, we do need the licensing because people have to create the teams and the kits. and yeah. Or rename all the players like I used to do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've done that as well. Oh, oh yeah. goodness me. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> yeah, oh, goodness. I bet there's thousands out there, probably hundreds of thousands. Oh, yeah. We've probably had the exact same life experience, but goodness me. <laughs> Cricket games are a different breed. They really are. But then again, it all adds to the excitement of this of this wonderful game that we know in this wonderful sport. And Tom, in terms of, of another memory that I have to ask about, and I did touch upon it beforehand, but... That first-class debut for Middlesex in the county championship, first and foremost, that's an honour in itself, representing any county in the county championship. But to represent Middlesex and to walk out onto that field, the hallowed turf of Lord's Cricket Grounds, the very home of cricket itself, as someone who's been out there and lived that, what is it like to play at Lord's? Because obviously, as fans, we all have our different emotions and feelings walking through the Grace Gates and... It does feel tremendously special. But what is it like to actually walk out onto that field and be on the grass which has, has graced so many fantastic legends of the game of cricket? Yeah, I mean, at the time, it's like, you know, walking through the long room and walking out onto the pitch, it's it's so special. Um, and I guess when you're in a game, you don't... It's almost afterwards that you sort of think about some of the players, some of the matches that have happened here, you know, um, the one thing as well is the slope that really, it really makes a difference, you know, like, so it's left armors bowl from the pavilion end, obviously to help with the slope coming into the batsman. It makes a real difference. I didn't realize how big a slope it is. Well, what is the biggest difference then? Because for, for, for those who aren't quite familiar with Lords, obviously the slope is the prominent feature, isn't it? Something which, if you're watching an Ashes test on Sky Sports, it gets mentioned at least a thousand times every <laughs> single broadcast. Same in the county championship, to be fair. But what is it about the slope which does provide that extra challenge for the bowler? Um, I guess it just feel it at the crease. Like you feel like you've particularly as like bowling from the pavilion end, left arm over, you feel like you're falling away a little bit. So you can you can drag the ball. So you need to sort of hold your action that bit longer. Um but batting as well. I mean, I, I never batted too many times. Like I put it out, <laughs> yeah, at Lords. But I did, I did once or twice. Um, but yeah, it's like you, you almost need to rebalance, really. I think. Um, 
And particularly as quite, I was quite a rhythm bowler, sometimes it can it can take you a few overs, you know, to get to get used to it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm jealous of you know people like Tim Murtagh and Toby Rowland Jones and people like that who have mastered it, you know, um, because. I think, and I think everyone says the same thing. As soon as they go there, it does take a, a little bit of time to adjust. Oh, definitely. But again, it's it's understandable, isn't it? It's a completely different variable in comparison yeah. to to other grounds. I mean, uh, I suppose Canterbury also does have the slope, yes. but yeah. I suppose it's not as as prominent. I suppose in comparison to to Lords, but it definitely does add an extra dynamic to the game. And you mentioned Tim Murta. Goodness me, what a legend. What an absolute what a hero of cricket. What a bowler. Still going as well at 41. Yeah. I mean, he's got to go down the Darren Stevens route. If Tim Murtagh is listening, at least another five-year contract. Right, I'm, <laughs> I'm not ready to say goodbye to Tim Murtagh, even though he did take five for 13 against England in 2019 at Lords. So thanks for that, Tim. That was money well spent for me, watching England get bowled out for 86. That was always going to happen, surely. Yeah, it, it was. I, was. I was so excited for that game. I was like, England versus Ireland, fantastic. Going down to Lords, first time going to a Lords test. And then England are like 40 for five. Tim Murtagh's got a five for it. It's like, oh, goodness. Yeah. Written in the stars in it. But yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Funny thing, actually, I, I'd never been to Lords before I joined Middlesex. You're joking. I'd never been. Yeah. So, yeah, I remember the first time I turned up at Middlesex or at Lords, I was like, oh, this is. It's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely incredible. I mean, go on then. If just to just to touch upon that, then Tom, what were your first impressions of Lords? I can't believe that I didn't actually ask that then, because if you'd never been to go to Lords for the first time, it is an experience, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, yeah, it's just seeing that that famous pavilion, you know, and even just standing in the middle, seeing, you know, again, you think about, you have a bit of time to think about the players that have played there, the games that have happened there, you know, the, the tradition, the history, you know, it's, um, it's such a special place and you really feel that when you're there, you, you know, same as you, you're a spectator, it's, you know, you, you feel the atmosphere, that famous Laws buzz, you know, at, at test match, it's, uh, it's unparalleled. It really is. I mean, for test cricket, obviously, Edgebaston, my home grounds is world renowned, right? For a yeah. different atmosphere <laughs> with the Eric Holly stuff. Yeah. But again, it's a ridiculously fantastic place to go and watch or supposed to play cricket as well if you are good enough. But in terms of test match cricket, the pure test match cricketing experience, don't get me wrong, it's very expensive. And I mentioned that in the past. Yeah. But if you can get yourself down to Lords, whether that's for a championship game or indeed a test match, you mentioned that Lords buzz. I never realised just how how big it actually was. Yeah. But when you're in the ground itself, you feel it. It's not exactly the Edgebaston roar that you hear from the Hollies, but just the constant chatter, isn't it? You can yeah. tell people who go to Lords absolutely adore the purest format of the game. So it is tremendously special. Again, the prices do put a lot of people off, myself included at times. But if you can get yourself down there, almost like a cricketing pilgrimage, yeah, Lords definitely is worth the journey. And in, in terms of one other memory, I just wanted to touch upon, Tom, with regards to Owen Morgan. You mentioned him beforehand. I think you know what I'm going to ask, actually, when it comes to, <laughs> to Owen Morgan. But... There's a, there's a pretty famous story with yourself and, and the Middlesex skipper, which involved you breaking his thumb. So in terms of the <laughs> the origin and the background story behind that, how did you break Owen Morgan's thumb? What was the what was the, the background to that? Um, it was just in a training session. We were down at uh, Merchant Taylor's in the tent um, pre-season. Um, I think Morgs might have been 
wanted to get some practice in for a for a England tour or something like that. I think that was coming up. So yeah, I ended up being uh, being the bowler to to bowl at him and. Um, yeah, I think I think I bowled one a little too short, so he sort of fended off. And yeah, I didn't I didn't really think at the time. I think he carried on batting, um, but I think obviously it later emerged that I'd um, I'd broken his his thumb or, or finger or whatever. And yeah, I felt a little bit bad. But I remember him saying afterwards, he's like, "Oh yeah, he's he's got a yard." So I was pretty happy with that. <laughs> I, I bet you were. Again, that's pretty good. Uh, pretty good backing, isn't it? From the yeah. England World Cup winning captain, Crikey. Yeah, that is that's scary, isn't it? The fact that <laughs> you can bowl that quickly, it really <laughs> is. But so I suppose aside from the, the highlights, if that was a highlight breaking over Morgan's thumb, I'm, I'm on about the, the other games. <laughs> I don't think of, everyone else saw it like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, there certainly wouldn't have. <laughs> but in, in terms of the first class debut and, and T20 debut, of course, aside from the highlights and the, and the proud moments, as we've discussed in this podcast, cricket isn't that simple. It is a game of tremendous peaks and troughs, and that was the same with your case at Middlesex. So, uh, aside from the the great times, what do you say was your toughest moment from your time with the Saxes? Um, I think there was a time in pre-season where I had a shoulder impingement, um, and it really it really got me down. Actually, you know, I couldn't do what I loved doing, you know, which was bowling fast. Um, and it affected me quite badly, to be honest. And that that sort of coincided with, um, you know, Richard Johnson leaving to become Surrey head coach and Stuart Law coming in. Um, and I saw Jono as, you know, he was my mentor. You know, he was the guy that I thought, we, you know, we, we had a terrific partnership. Um, and I just thought, okay, this guy is going to take me to the next level. You know, he, he's going to be the guy, you know, we're going to work together. And we had some great plans in place. And but unfortunately, you know, at the time, um, Middlesex didn't go with him as head coach, um, which is unfortunate because I thought he would have been a great head coach. He's head coach now. And, you know, Middlesex are, uh, are getting back up there, you know, after, you know, probably quite a few disappointing years, to be honest. You know, if we're, if we're being brutally honest there, um, they should be doing better. But um, Stuart Law came in, who was quite a different character. Um, and then Alan Coleman came in as bowling coach. And yeah, I mean, Stuart Law is, as I said, completely different character, quite a hard Australian. Um, and, you know, maybe I didn't get the support there that I needed at that time um, or that I felt I, yeah, deserved. Um, maybe I think Stuart Law had his own, his different ways of dealing with players than what Richard Johnson w- was like. So, um, yeah, it was a. Yeah, it was it was a low point to be honest. Yeah. Well, that's completely understandable, and in particular when it comes to injuries, that's always a common theme on the podcast. Because as you articulated so so brilliantly there, to be honest, Tom, it stops you doing the thing that you love, and yeah. it really is difficult. And obviously, injuries are out of your control. The only thing that you can control, obviously, is the the road to recovery, isn't it? The rehabilitation. Yeah. Afterwards, but as a seam bowler, given all of that tremendous force which goes through your body, injuries are going to happen no matter how much you try and mitigate, no matter how much you try and limit and maybe even work on your workload, from time to time, you are going to get injuries of different severities. That's just the nature of mm. the same bowling beast. But it's about coming back. And in terms of your motivation, this is something which, again, I ask a lot when it comes to coming back from injuries. What motivated Tom Barber to come back and not give up on the cricketing dream? I mean, 
I think that's something that's been instilled in me from a very young age, to be honest, that motivation, that resilience. Um, and I think that shows, you know, my bounce back from Hampshire, bounce back from Middlesex. Um, you know, that's, that's just, that's, that's just me, you know, that's, that's just who I am. So, um, there was never any doubt in my mind that I would be back and I'll be back bowling fast and doing what I love. And to be honest, I should give a shout out to, um, to Vish, who was the, the physio at, uh, the second team physio at, at Middlesex at the time, who I'm great friends with now. Um, and we put a plan together um, to go about my rehab and we worked really closely. And that was the start of a really, really good friendship, actually, that I think will last a lifetime. So, um, yeah, there was there was some positive positiveness that came out of that. So, um, yeah, but it's it's just about thinking, thinking about the process rather than the end result. I think as with anything, um, you know, whether you're working on something technically um whether it's coming back from injury it's concentrating on the process and not getting too ahead of yourself you know because even if you feel good you know say i felt good with my shoulder you know you still have to go through the jump, jump through the hoops you know you don't want to push it too fast and and put yourself back another month or two um so yeah even a, even if that was a testing time i still had the motivation and, and the resilience and the desire to keep going and actually um a really great friendship came out of it so there was a positive on that yeah silver linings i suppose yeah. i mean yeah you've got to you've got to make the best out of a of a bad situation there but i think that was really important actually just to touch upon in terms of those those characteristics and attributes which aren't just needed for cricket that's life in general isn't it resilience yeah. fortitude grits and, and bounce back ability it's really really important in in greater life in general and the, the other thing which I wanted to touch upon there, Tom, because you mentioned the almost the sense of of rushing the process, right? We were speaking there about the injury process, but I just wanted to talk about another process, and that is the art of fast bowling again. We're coming back onto that theme because yep. we've mentioned beforehand the way in which you're able to bowl so quickly. So on TV, on Sky Sports, bowling 93, 94 mile an hour rockets. So that will have generated some interest, some attention. Then there's the story about Loughborough when you had the fastest <laughs> delivery. And again, I'm, I'm not surprised you're smiling there, to be honest, because that is a fantastic feather in the cap, isn't it? Let's be honest, 97 mile an hour. That is a thunderbolt at Loughborough. <laughs> but obviously here in England, we've spoken about the Ashes. And sometimes we as cricket fans and, and lovers of the game here in England do get carried away on the hype train, don't we? when it yep. comes to to young fast bowlers, because we are looking for the next Mark Wood and the next Joffrey Archer, or if we are to compare with the Aussies at the time, it would have been the next Mitchell Johnson yep. or the next Brett Lee, for example. So in terms of main, maintaining that level-headedness and that even keel, how did you do that? Because at the time, there was a lot of hype, wasn't there, about this, this young, tall, fast, electric, dynamic left-arm seam bowler from Middlesex. How did you almost maintain that calmness, that composure, and just ride along with the process. Yeah, I mean, it's. I see it a lot now. You know, I see a lot of young guys being, you know, put up there by the press saying they should be playing for England in so many years. They should be doing this. And I, to be honest, like it's yeah, okay, it's nice as a player. You know, you, I, I certainly felt it. You know, you're having articles written about you, and your people are speaking candidly about you. But you know, don't don't rush people into that you know don't rush young players don't give them you know give them support obviously but you know it's how you go about that and to be honest like 
it, it was tough at times for me. You know, as I said, there was a lot of hype around me. And, you know, if I did have a bad game or I did have a game where I didn't feel as if things had gone how I'd like them to go, you know, you sort of do think, well, you know, these people are saying I should be playing for England in next year's Ashes or, you know, in, in a few years' time. Why aren't I, you know, delivering? Why aren't I taking wickets in this game? And you've got to think back to how cricket is. You know, a lot of the time you're going to feel out of rhythm. You know, there's not many times as a bowler where you feel 100% in rhythm, everything's going well, you know. On the days like that, you really cash in um, and get your your fifers and your, and your tenfers or whatever. So, but I say most of the time you are battling against something, whether it's a hill, whether it's the wind, you know, maybe you're feeling a bit sore from the week before or, or, or stuff like that, you know, and you've just got to find a way. You've just got to find a way to do a job for your team in that situation. Um, so in dealing with the hype, I mean, it's hard because a lot, I think at the time at Middlesex, I think a lot of the supporters were quite vocal on social media platforms, you know, Facebook, Twitter, um, the team wasn't probably in a place where it should have been, um, particularly in white ball cricket. And they were quite vocal about that. And I think some, actually some of the comments were quite hurtful and quite nasty. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't like to see that. I don't think anyone likes to see that. You know, even supporters of the same club don't like to see that, you know, because everyone wants the, the club to go in the right direction and to do well. Um, and, it, you know, I'd be lying if I said, you know, I didn't read those comments. And, you know, it's the same for other, other players as well. They read the comments. Um, you know, I think in the end, some people had to be banned from commenting on, on these social media pages because they were just going on on players, you know, waiting for an opportunity for the club to do poorly, for them to jump on the bandwagon and, you know, put their opinions on, on Facebook or Twitter and, you know, never actually play, praise the club when they did well. And I just don't get that. I don't, I don't see how you can be a supporter of, of the club like that. Um, so I think going back to your original question, I think it's a case of thinking, okay, going back to the process. Okay. I'm not, I'm not looking at the, the, you know, the end result. I'm, I'm on a journey. I'm on a process. I'm working hard with my coaches. I've got my teammates and, and, and coaches to support me. Um, and just being, it's being mentally tough as well. You know, people, people are allowed opinions, um, but you've got to be confident in yourself that you, you trust the process, I think. Of course. And, and Tom, that has just got my mind going, to be honest, because I do have a couple of follow-up questions to that, which apologies for sounding like an episode of the High Performance Podcast, but they might get a little bit <laughs> profound. Right, they might do, because you're that kind of individual. Obviously, there's, there's a lot of, of interest when it comes to the game of cricket and the external factors involved. But before we get onto the chat about social media, because that is very important, and I dedicated an entire segment of the episode with Tom Lace about that, because he yeah. suffered tremendously tremendously in his early days at Gloucestershire for some reason he was getting peppered on yeah. social media and I just could not understand it for the life of me so we had a very detailed and an open chat about that so I'd like to know your thoughts about social media in due course but just one final kind of, of pertinent question about the hype train for you as a young cricketer did you find hype to be a positive or was it a burden for you because at the same time that you've got all of the support and don't get me wrong I, I'm guilty of this with certain players. Obviously, a lot of people know my opinions on Sam Hain. I think he should play for England. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I think I've made that very, very apparent on social media. But obviously, I've, I've mentioned the likes of, of Arian Ahmed and James Ruiz, people to watch out for the future. Again, that's yep. because I rate them highly as cricketers. It's not rushing them, but it's a case of, of thinking that they've got high ceilings and I want them to do well. So yep. you've got that on the one side. 
you've got supporters who want you to do well and obviously want you to succeed and go on to, to bigger honours. But then at the same time, you have got the negatives associated with it, the additional pressure. You've got the weight of expectation on your shoulder. You do yeah. have that extra sense of, of disappointment when things don't go your way. So for you as a cricketer and as a person, Tom, would you say that the, the, the hype generated by your speed and your performances was a positive or a negative? Um, I think maybe in the early part, it was a little bit of a negative um, in that I listened to a lot of what people said, both positively and negatively. Um, but as, as I came to learn a bit more about dealing with that, you know, it's very much like I just didn't read anything, you know, um, I stopped reading the comments on, um, on Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that. Cause you, you know, you can't really get away from them. You know, you, you're scrolling through Facebook or as, as I said, Twitter and, you know, you follow, you know, your own team's account and all this sort of stuff. So they pop up. But I think later on, you know, I really enjoyed people writing stuff about me. I enjoyed just people knowing that I'm about, you know, who I am, what I do, what I have the potential to do. Um, so I say on the flip side, I actually really enjoyed having people speaking about me. Um, but it's how you deal with it. I think, I think I'm that type of person that I don't let too much stuff get to me. I'm quite mentally resilient. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a difficult one. Um, and particularly young, younger players can struggle with it. You know, as, as we said, they're getting praised left, right and center. And I think it all came from that 2013 ashes, didn't it? Where Johnson tore England apart and, you know, the English media was like, we need someone like that. You know, we need, where's the next express bowler, um, to take to Australia, um, whenever it was the next, next Ashes series in Australia. So I think it all came from that really. Um, and I'm sure I wasn't the only one that was, you know, being hyped up at that time. You know, I think there was a group of us, um, probably on that last pace program, to be honest, there was a few of us on there who were being hyped up around that. Um, so everyone has their own individual way of dealing with it. Um, I saw it, I, I found it hard at first, but actually towards the end, um, I think overall I, I enjoyed it, to be fair. I quite liked it. Well, again, it's it's different considering the, the individual, isn't it? Different people have their different thoughts on it. And yeah. I'm interested to know your thoughts, to be honest, Tom, because obviously for, for us as spectators and, and people who enjoy the game, we can empathise with it, but we can never fully sympathise because we haven't lived it. So I wanted to know it through your eyes, from your perspective, because unless you've lived it, you can never fully relate when it comes mm -hmm. to hype because it is a completely different construct to, to what normal people kind of have faced in their lives. Obviously, we all have our different pressures and expectations, but when it's that apparent, when it's literally you've got the, the weight of the cricketing nation on your shoulders expecting you to be the next Mitchell Johnson, mm. it must be tremendously tough at times. But then again, as we said, there are positives as well. How nice is it that you have got so many people supporting you in your journey? And uh, I think someone else at the time mentioning those similar kind of players, George Garton, definitely yep. would have been in a similar boat, I reckon. I haven't spoken to George about it, but in terms of that young, upcoming, rapid left-arm seam bowler, he definitely fit the bill as well. And unfortunately, injuries kind of have derailed that. But yep. going on to the, the other point, before we get on to our chat about knots and we conclude today's episode with a look to the future, I did just want to talk about social media because social media is a fantastic tool. And without social media, I wouldn't have the platform that I do now in county cricket. Because when it's used right, social media is a wonderful thing. Yep. Because you can connect with people, 
all around the world from all different sorts of life and so you can strike up friendships. Again, it does have its its wonderful benefits, right? And it does have some massive positives on your life. But at the same time, no one can escape it at times. In particular, Twitter and Facebook can be an absolute cesspit. Yeah. They really can. And a lot of people out there are tremendously opinionated. Now, there's nothing wrong with having an opinion, is there? Or even being critical. I, I think constructive criticism is one of the most important things that you can have in life. Because although it's harsh, it's tough to take, it's there for your own benefit. It's to make yeah. you better in the long run. And Definitely. I do think that people also have to take that on board as well. Constructive criticism is a good thing. As hard as it is to take, the positives do outweigh the benefits in the long run. But the the other side of social media, where it is the, the negatives, the constant hammering and abuse of players, Tom, what would you say about that when it comes to social media and, and your experiences? when it comes to platforms like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram? Uh, I mean, as you said, it ha definitely has its positives. Um, you know, I won't begrudge anyone for having an opinion. Everyone's allowed an opinion. Um, but you need to keep in mind how you present that opinion on social media. It could have negative benefit, uh, negative, you know, connotations for, for other people. Um, you know, yeah, it's a strange one. As, as I said before, I, I don't understand people who will wait until, you know, a, a club's done badly and then jump on social media to, you know, abuse the players. I mean, it was abuse at times, you know, it just wasn't nice to, to see or hear. Um, you know, yeah, I, I don't get it. I just don't understand why people would, would do that. You know, support the, support the club through the highs and lows you know a lot of these people i saw was saying i've you know i've been a supporter since 1980 whatever it's like well okay well support the club then you know go we, you know as players and supporters we go through the highs and lows and at the end of the day you know we're all part of the same club we're all pulling in the right direction um but i said yeah social media has its positives its benefits um i think there's a lot to be said for having you know, breaks in social media as well. I think, I think that's good for a lot of people. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk around mental health in cricket or in sport in general, as there should be. I think people can talk more openly now. And, you know, I've had, I've had my own things, you know, say with Middlesex where I felt, um, you know, really, really down to be, to be honest, you know, I was speaking to a sports psych at, middle, at, at Middlesex and, um, you know, at Nottinghamshire as well with, with Chris Marshall, um, who were great influences on my, on my career um just having someone to speak to openly um and being able to, to to think that you can speak openly i think it's a massive massive shift for mental health in sport um because it can affect you um as it as it did me you know i, I said at middlesex i felt i sort of distanced my, myself from a lot of people um because of my injury because i couldn't get involved in full training i was doing my own thing um, so I found that really hard, but, um, yeah, I think it goes back to your makeup and having that desire, that resilience to think, okay, well, I'm going to be all right here, you know? Absolutely. And, and Tom, just touching upon that then, because we are talking here about the, the tougher moments. So the injuries and obviously the, the backlash on social media, which again, is completely unwarranted when it is just abuse. Again, nothing wrong with criticism when yes. it's worded correctly, because it can be beneficial when it is just outright abuse and, you know, just slandering players, well, there are no positives to that whatsoever. It doesn't help anybody in yeah. the short or the long term. So, uh, yeah, I don't understand that mentality either. But 
in terms of you personally, when you did have those tough moments, just for the for the sake of any young critters out there who are interested in this, did you have any particular strategies or coping mechanisms during those times? You mentioned about the, the conversations with the sports psychologists, who again, unsung heroes of sports, let alone just cricket. The, the work that they put in is absolutely fantastic. But did you have any particular, you know, individual tailored mechanisms or strategies which did help you overcome those tougher moments from your time at both Middlesex and Notts, for example? Yeah, I think it was it was just having someone to talk to and actually having the courage to say, look, I'm struggling a little bit here. You know, can I have a chat? Can we just talk it through what how I'm feeling and, you know, give me some answers as to why I'm feeling this way, really? Um, I think, to be honest, something that a lot of people might not know throughout my career, like I struggled a lot with performance anxiety. Um, so this is something that I, I really worked on at knots and I really thought we were cracking it because I had the, you know, I had the, the technical ability, you know, down to a T really, you know, I, I was really happy with my, my, my technique, my, you know, my bowling action. I was fit. I'm fit. I'm strong. You know, I didn't, I speak of that injury at Middlesex, but throughout my career, I, I didn't really have, any injuries to be honest major injuries really um so it was just getting those negative thoughts out my head you know I, I felt very much like you know what if I don't do well in this game what again what are people going to think you know what are people going to write on on social media so I guess I am the you know evidence of what can happen if you are abusive online and, and stuff like this because it does get to players it does we do feel like what are people going to say if we don't do well here or if I drop a catch or, you know, and um, sort of the, the, the mechanism, mechanisms that I have, again, they're very individualized, but I worked on something called um, notice name neutralize, which was if a negative thought came into my head, I noticed it. Um, I named it. I called it, I called it Jerry. I think it was I go, Oh, here's, here's Jerry again. You know, um, that little head, that little um, voice in my head. And I, I'd, I'd neutralize it. I'd say, no, actually, I'm going to focus on something else. I'm. This is what I'm going to do. I've got my pre-ball routine. I've got my routines, my bowling. I'm going to actually going to focus on this. Um, and it was mentally tiring, to be honest. You know, I remember speaking. I worked quite hard, to say, with Chris Marshall and Kevin Shine at Nottinghamshire um, to sort of see how I coped with pressure, really. Um, and we did stuff like pressure, pressure sh- uh, sessions, um, basically putting me under the pump and seeing if I could um not seeing if i could could cope with it i could cope with it but how i could how i went about the session you know were were my mechanisms standing up against that and um we did some really great work um that i take into my just my general life now to be honest um because i think as human beings we often think quite negatively anyway um so i think in sport that's amplified quite a bit with as, as you say the pressure um the outside noise, what people are going to say. Um, so it's very individualized, but the first thing is just to talk, just to say to someone, look, I'm struggling here. Can we have a chat? And that could be with anyone. It could be with a sports psych. It could be with a coach, could be with a friend. Um, or even as I said, taking a break from social media, go and do something that you enjoy. You know, I, I enjoy playing Xbox or play playing COD, you know, FIFA or whatever. It took my mind off cricket. Um, I started doing a university degree um, when I was at Knotts, so I genuinely enjoyed coming in, taking my mind off cricket after a day's play to get that work done. Um, it's whatever's you know useful for you, really. It's quite individual, but 
as I said, first point of call, if you're struggling, go and chat to someone. Exactly. Uh, and we cannot stress that point enough because it is tremendously beneficial and we do need to reduce and remove the stigma, don't we? Not just in professional sports, but in wider society, because having those conversations, having that shoulder to to quite literally cry on at times, yeah, it does help. It, it really does help. And yeah. I can testify to that, to be honest. In 2019, I struggled. But here we are now, 2023, yeah. never been happier. So again, exactly. the bad times do do come and go. And it's just about how you can get on with it and and finding that resilience, the mental fortitude and living your life in a positive manner. It, it really, really does get better if you can share those problems and if you do have a, a good and valuable support network around you. And this has been a very, very profound kind of segment of the podcast, to be honest, Tom. It has it has, very it? <laughs> very philosophical, as I imagine it would have, to be honest, given your articles with, yeah. with the cricketer and, and the Trent Bridge one. But... Mm. It is a fascinating conversation to be had, and it is one which, again, probably could be a podcast episode in its entirety because yeah. cricket really is such a, a psychological game. The mental tolls of this game are absolutely massive in comparison to other sports. We we have that cliche, don't we? 90% mental, 10% physical. But yeah, it's true as well. <laughs> it really is. It really is. And, and pretty much every single cricketer says that because there's so much that's out of your control. And again, it comes back to that that's um, that aspect you mentioned earlier about the human mind being naturally tailored to thinking negatively because yeah. we think of the things which we can't control they spiral they get out of control we overthink things and all of a sudden you're in a little bit of trouble so as you said if you can find those mechanisms and the other in, in massively important thing the integral thing to take away from this conversation as well is individuality so every single individual is different so i would be different to tom for example tom would be different to you guys as the listeners it's all about finding what works for you and again that journey might take longer for some people might take quicker for some people but if you can find it it really does help in wider life and Tom just before we talk about the future and we wrap up today's episode of the podcast which has been absolutely fascinating I've got to be honest I've absolutely loved it but yeah just one final county to talk about and that is of course Nottinghamshire County Cricket Club so you had a short but sweet time in the East Midlands at Trent Bridge with the likes of Kevin Shine to name but, but one coach involved at Not. So in terms of your experiences with the East Midlands County, how would you describe your time with Nottinghamshire County Cricket Club? I would describe it as some of the, the best and fun times that I've had um, in cricket, to be honest. Um, I can't speak highly enough for that, that county. Um, you know, world-class coaches in every position, a great group of lads um, who would do anything for you. Um, and I really, really enjoyed it. And that was, it was a really tough point actually leaving that county. I felt really deflated um, leaving Knots um, just because of the, the fun and the, the great times I had there. You know, I was, uh, I was, me and Peter Trigo um, joined at the same time. So we were living together and it was just, it was just a laugh, you know, a laugh a minute. It was brilliant. Um, and I really enjoyed my time there. Good. Well, that is absolutely fantastic here, to be honest, Tom. And I, I know that will bring a smile to the faces of the Knotts fans tuning in. I did have to to give Knotts a little bit of a shout-out because, as you <laughs> said, they have got some some great characters. We've had a couple on the podcast. Lyndon James and Liam Patterson-White. Those two as a comedic yeah. duo. Brilliant lads. Brilliant <laughs> cricketers as well. Bring out their own, they bring out their own comedy show. <laughs> yeah, they should do. Or, or their own podcast. I would listen yeah, to it, to yes. be honest. But honestly, those two, great cricketers, great blokes as well. And then, you know, the likes of Hasiba Mead 
yeah. likes of Dame Patterson as well. Just again, we we could sing their plaudits for days. Great, great bunch of lads yeah. that they've got on knots. But um, just I suppose the the final question then for today's podcast, Tom, before we we do wrap up the show, does revolve around the future. So unfortunately, no longer in county cricket, but I'm guessing the love for the game might just still be there given the, the conversations <laughs> that we've had on this podcast. Yeah, just about, just a little bit of, of love for the game. But just one final pertinent question for the podcast, Tom. What does the future hold for Tom Barber? What, what are you looking to achieve for the rest of 2023 and I suppose the foreseeable future? Yeah, good question. Um, I mean, as I said, when I left Knotts, I, I wanted to um, have a year break to see... You know, if I did miss it, because, you know, towards the end of Knots, I was, I probably did fall out of love with the game a little bit. And I'm starting to get that back a bit now. Um, so, as I said, I started my degree. Um, so, I'm, I'm doing a degree in physics with the Open University. Um, so, I'm in my second year of that now. Um, I can see you're smiling. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't do that. Everyone does that when I tell them. <laughs> physics, physics, no. Biology, yes. Chemistry, yes. Physics, absolutely yeah. not. It's the one I always struggled with. Well, I, I did the, I did three of my A level, so. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I I got my exams in June, so I hope to I hope to do well in them, and I'm I'm going well at the moment. So fingers crossed. Um, and I've got a few things lined up for the summer. Um, potentially going abroad to do um some placement work. Um to do with my my degree and science um because going back to when i was very young you know all i wanted to be was play cricket or do science or be a scientist you know be a researcher or whatever so um i feel i've achieved that that cricketing sort of milestone and now i'm on to um to yeah on on the on the road to a phd really um is where i want to where i want to end up um i'm a few years away from that yet but uh yeah, really exciting. In terms of cricket, um, as I said, I've got a few offers to um, to go and play. Um, you know, maybe not necessarily in county cricket. Um, I did have a few offers last year, actually. I'm from a few counties, but as I said I wanted to give myself that time um, just to see what it was like on the other side, you know, because I've been in cricket since, well, I was, you know, academy, I mean, 15, 16, and then professional from 17, 18. So never really had a proper job you know cricket you know it's a, it's a vocation really we all love it um so to just give myself that confidence that okay i i'm excelling in the other side of it now you know um so i'm, I'm working at um nottingham university um in the engineering department there um so yeah it's it's pretty exciting i've got so i've got a few things lined up potentially abroad over the summer and um We'll see. We'll see what comes of them. Well, Tom, it goes without saying, mate, but obviously myself and everybody associated with the County Cricket Podcast are wishing you all the very best of luck for the rest of 2023 and beyond, mate. Obviously, I'd love you to come back into the game of cricket because we've spoken about those highlights. Watching your bowl fast was absolutely fantastic, to be honest. There is nothing quite like watching an X-Factor bowler in their element, but... Also with the physics, with the PhD, I've got to be honest, I wasn't expecting something so nerdy with the engineering and, <laughs> That's and the That's what science. everyone says, you know. It's like, oh, a, you know, professional cricketer doing a degree in physics. It doesn't really happen, does it? But, uh, yeah, as I said, it's it's an interest. And, yeah, I say, it never feels like extra work for me. You know, it feels like something which I quite enjoy. Um, 
And you say going back to county cricket, look, I'd if the right opportunity came about, I'd love to get to get back involved. I still keep myself fit. I'm still bowling, so um, I'm still bowling fast. So um, yeah, um, the right opportunity came up. I'd be, I'd take it with both hands. Well, fingers crossed that it does, mate, because as I said, it would be fantastic to see you back in the county circuit. And obviously, I know physics is taking centre stage at the moment, but <laughs> you never know. You never know. Life works out in funny ways. Uh, the, Look at the Jake physics Lincoln. is easy. The physics is easy. It's the cricket. <laughs> you say physics is easy. Goodness me, I struggled throughout school at physics. I'm glad that stage is done. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I don't have a physics podcast to talk about cricket a lot easier. <laughs> but uh, honestly, Tom, I think that is a wonderful place, a really positive way to end what's been a fascinating discussion here on the Cowns Cricket Podcast today. And I think it goes out saying, but obviously you're always welcome back on in the future. You've been an absolute delight today, mate. But before we say our final goodbyes for the episode, do you have anything to plug or promote? Any social media channels, websites, businesses, anything like that? Um, nothing too much, to be fair. I did. I, have, I just remembered that I missed out my mum that we talked about earlier for family. Um, so I'd like to give a shout out to my mum, Sue, who, um, I mean dropped everything for me and, and drove me around, you know, most, most county grounds in, in the country um, when I was younger. So big shout out to my mum. Big shout out to Sue Barber. What a fantastic way <laughs> to end the podcast. I think we couldn't have ended it on, on a more delightful way, to be honest, Tom. So shout out to Sue, shout out to the Barber family. And obviously, Tom, wishing yourself all the best of luck heading into the future, mate. But that is it from us two here at the County Cricket Podcast for today's episode to each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there thank you ever so much for tuning in and as always guys we'll see you on the next one